Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, Sleepyheads. This is episode 50 of Witness Prophecies. I'm Steve, and well then, if we are to stop the four horsemen of the apocalypse from harming the president and destroying all we hold dear, we must find a way to kill an immortal man. And I'm Barb, and it's the end of times. Hashtag revelations is true. Good old Jake. (laughs) He is my fave. Yes, he is. Yes. All right, so today we are going to be discussing the 13th Sleepy Hollow episode of Season 4, the season finale, entitled Freedom, which was written by M. Raven Metzner and directed by Russell Fine. And speaking of fine, what a fine way to close out this season. And I'm not saying it, serious because I still I believe it's coming back. It was that yes. good this year. Yes, I agree. And yes, it was an absolutely wonderful finale for the season. M. Raven, of course, wrote another absolutely fantastic episode. He never lets us down, and he sure didn't with this one. It was just absolutely fantastic. And I think that uh, from what I saw on Twitter, people just loved it. Yes. So we're going to have a lot of fun talking about this again today, aren't we, Steve? Yes, we are. How about a recap to get us started, Barb? I can do that for you, Steve. Ichabod Crane and Henry Parrish are in a duel and both are shot and killed, but we quickly learn it is a mystical vision that Crane and Jenny Mills entered to learn what happened to Henry. They confirm that he has become the Horseman of War. Team Witness assembles in the vault to determine their next steps in stopping Malcolm Dreyfus and the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. They must find a way to make the immortal Dreyfus mortal again and stop him from taking over the country. Laura summons Job, and he tells them to travel to hell. Laura and Crane are off to meet the devil, after Crane gets rid of the cable guy. As they approach hell, each sees their own version. Crane sees the terrible winter in Valley Forge, and Laura sees the orphanage where she was sent when her mother died. They meet the devil and strike a bargain to get the Philosopher's Stone, which will cause Dreyfus to lose his immortality. Meanwhile, Jenny, Diana, Alex Norwood, and Jake Wells examine artifacts in the vault and learn that Benjamin Banneker and George Washington were responsible for building the archives in Sleepy Hollow. In a flashback, we see Samuel Nelson painting the replica of George Washington crossing the Delaware on the archives' wall and removing Betsy Ross, except for her tricorn hat. Banneker and Washington have created the archives to hold artifacts and weaponry to fight the supernatural, and they discuss the meaning of E Pluribus Unum. Jake realizes that the weapons must follow Agency 355 and that they are in the vault. The team finds the hidden weapons and leaves to fight the horsemen. Jake and Alex finally finish their talk when they arrive in the woods. Dreyfus and Job captured the president at Camp David and are waiting for a massive battle. Crane meets the horsemen of war in the woods, and he and Henry agree that they both value freedom above all, and Henry calls for a truce. For now. Crane and Diana rush to find Dreyfus, Job, and the captured U.S. president. The Philosopher's Stone takes Dreyfus's power, Diana shoots him, 
and Joe becomes a free agent. The horsemen vanish. The president thanks the team, Agency 355, and tells them they report directly to her, and then she makes Crane a U.S. citizen. Laura says farewell to Crane. She is now another person out of time, and she needs to take some time for herself. Their fates are intertwined. They are witnesses. Crane tells young Molly she is no longer a witness, and Diana says she will continue fighting with Crane. She knows he made a deal with the devil for the stone, and he shows her his mark. They will fight it together. Meanwhile, they have a Kraken to fight in the Potomac River. The team has their next mission, and with our team striding to the beat of Highway to Hell, we close Season 4. Awesome, awesome, awesome. That was wonderful. Just watching watching the two of them just striding to that beat, walking away from the river to go figure out how they're going to fight that monster. And what a great ending. Yes, it really, really was. Ah, so I'm going to guess, Steve, you've got some news for us. Oh, absolutely we do. All right. Episode 11, The Way of the Gun, the live plus seven days are in. We tied for third in adults 18 to 49 percentage gain, going from a 0.4 to a 0.8 for an increase of 100%. We were ninth in viewers percentage gain, going from 1.815 to 3.003 million viewers for an increase of 65%. Episode 12 tomorrow, the final ratings was a 0.5 and two share in 18 to 49 with 1.96 million viewers. And this episode, Freedom, preliminary ratings, 0.5 and a two share in 18 to 49, with 1.76 million viewers. I'm surprised that it was that low, actually. I am too. I really think it's, um, (laughs) you got to count Nielsen and the Nielsen families, and I think there are too few sleepyheads in the Nielsen family. Hmm. Because there was a whole lot more Twitter going on than 1.76 million viewers. That's for sure. <laughs> well, at one point in time, uh, Nielsen is going to have to change how they account for some of this or they're going to be um, become obsolete, I guess. Yes, I think so. And thankfully, the shows are now looking at other things like social media interaction. Live plus 35 and all kinds of good stuff. Yes, I'm waiting to see what the Nielsen's are for Friday night viewer engagement on Twitter. I did sign up for that and have not yet seen uh, this Friday's uh, numbers, but I have a feeling we might have cracked the top five. That would be fantastic. Yes, it would. We have added the link to the Renew Sleepy Hollow Season 5 petition on our Facebook page. Thanks to Sleepy Hollow Attic, who began the petition, so use the link and sign the petition. Okay, and then I did something really kind of odd here, I guess, while I was watching. I think this must have been my third watch of it. We talked a couple episodes about other ways that you can support Sleepy Hollow and get it renewed. One of the things we said is, hey, listen, send notes to Fox, but also thank the advertisers and copy Fox when you do this. Don't make it a bunch of canned emails, you know, try and or just, you know, send emails, send tweets, whatever, but don't make it something that's canned that everyone's just going to copy and retweet. I actually watched and noted all of the different national advertisers, and so I'm going to read the list of them to you so that you know who was sponsoring this episode. And so send them a note. And they were Lowe's, Volkswagen, Olive Gardens, Pistachios, Southwest Airlines, AT&T, Dunkin' Donuts, AutoNation, Chevrolet, Cigna, Mercedes-Benz, 
NextGuard, which is flea and tick protection, T-Mobile, Burger King. There were a couple of different medication ones on here, including Humira, Zizol, which is allergy, Zelzax, XR, and I don't have a clue since I don't take any of them, but then there was also Oral-B, Kia, Geico, Mattress Firm, Verizon, and a new app, T-A-L-K, which was Tackle It Today, some, I guess, to get assistance with home repairs around the house if you need to locate a handyman. So go ahead and take a look. Reach out again, like I said, to some of those advertisers. Send them notes. Copy Fox. Let them know that you appreciate that they were supporting Sleepy Hollow. Anything to do, guys, because they're not going to make a decision until May. And so we need to be active in social media between now and when they make that decision. So we've roughly got probably about a month, maybe six weeks. Let's be active. Let's be very supportive. And let's get our season five. That's right. And we've got the UK also getting involved as far as uh, the show is concerned. So if you happen to be around, uh, let's see, what is it, about two o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesdays, Get on your Twitter and tweet with them as they're um, tweeting the episodes. Show our support for them watching the show. We're a team. We're team witness. We can all do it together. Now, you had mentioned seeing some interviews with M. Raven Metzner. Yeah, there are quite a few different articles, interviews with M. Raven Metzner that have been published. I'm going to include the, the links for those in our show notes so that you can find them if you haven't found them already on Google. But I think the bottom line is they wrote this episode. They wanted to give us a satisfying ending uh, without really knowing at the time whether or not they were going to be coming back. And obviously, they're very hopeful that they get to come back. But there were a couple of things that they really wanted to accomplish. And we'll probably talk about that, I think, a little bit later when we get to our thoughts, our final thoughts and our quote unquote prophecies, I guess, about the show. But I think that all in all, they pretty much achieved their goals, you know, kind of giving Crane a place in time, even though he is a man out of time, uh, giving him a mission and a purpose. And he's a U.S. citizen. Isn't that wonderful? I think all sleepyheads everywhere rejoiced when they saw that. Oh, absolutely. And there's definitely a story out there to be told. Yep. There's still plenty of, of additional story. We were left with a cliffhanger that had everyone going, no, how could you do this? But I'm glad they did because that gives us something for season five. And but if there isn't one and I'm and I am, that's blasphemy as far as I'm concerned. I think that we're going to get one. But if for some strange reason, the executives decide that they're not going to do that with Crane and Diana saying, we're going to we're going to fix this. We're going to do this together. You have to believe that they're going to make it happen. So absolutely. Yeah. So, Steve. How did you rate this last episode of season four? I had to give it a 10, Torments of the Damned. Very nice. (laughs) (laughs) And I gave it 9.5 new U.S. citizens. Yes. Now, Justina, she gave it 10 out of 10 deals with the devil. Julie gave it nine class elevators to hell for the episode and 10 highways to hell for the season. Very nice, Julie. Very nice. And then Annette also, she gave it nine glass elevators. And it was yeah. funny. I, I, yeah, I originally had um, deals with the, with the, um, with the devil. But then uh, when we saw one of those, I said, okay, I need to change mine because there was, there were, <laughs> there were plenty of things to choose from. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so here we go, Steve. 
uh, time for our last chat for this season on Team Witness. So you want to lead it off with our oh. with our man of the hour, Ichabod Crane? Oh, absolutely. And the way this episode started was just absolutely fantastic writing by M. Raven. Because you see Crane on a horse riding and you go, hmm, what is going on here? I thought it was a flashback at first. Right. Absolutely. And then you see him get off the horse and there's Jenny in costume and Henry and Malcolm. And you go, what the what? Uh-huh. They um, are there to duel with the Tericula Ignis guns. And they step off their 10 paces, turn. Henry shoots Crane. And before Crane dies, he raises up and shoots Henry. And you go... What? I know. No? no, this is not the way to start the episode. But we find out it is a mystical vision. Thank goodness. Yes. Brought on by Jenny to find out what happened to Henry since he was gone from the Masonic cell. It was, wow. To start the episode that way was just, you knew it was going to be an absolutely amazing episode yeah and and it was interesting because when i saw the guns i thought wait a minute that's the one that they just used from the way of the gun except there was only one of them and now there are two of them and then i was afraid that when they shot each other that one of them was going to turn back into the horseman of war and i'm like what's going on here right but you know kudos for the writers for completely throwing us off with that opening sequence yes Indeed, they did. Uh, now, did you notice how Dreyfus and Henry were dressed? Oh, yes, his red coats. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were the bad guys. And Crane yes. and Jenny were the good guys, just as, as it should be. Yes. Now, of course, Crane wants to confirm that Henry is really war. And after seeing that, I don't think he really needs to question that anymore. But he returns to the vault and asks Alex about getting satellite images of Dreyfus's place. Of course, they want heat-seeking radar, and sure enough, they were able to pull it up and see the four horsemen in place ready to uh, start their attack. Of course, Crane gets this wild idea that if they can kill Dreyfus, they can stop the horsemen. But of course, there's just a little bit of a problem there. He is immortal. Might be a little problem. Just a little problem. But... Laura has an idea, and after a uh, brief discussion with Job, they determined they must travel to hell to get help from the devil. Yeehaw. (laughs) Yes, go to hell. No, travel to hell. To hell, yes. (laughs) I thought that was a very interesting Latin phrase. Not that I would ever use it with anyone, but they wouldn't know what you were saying. (laughs) Right. Whoops. Kids, don't do this at home. No. Now, why Crane picked his apartment to perform the ritual to um, send them there, I don't know, because, of course, they get started, uh, knock on the door, and it's Larry the Cable Guy asking for Ichabob Crane, (laughs) who apparently was several days late for their appointment, but... If Crane wasn't willing to uh, have him replace his uh, modem, it would be another three weeks before they could come out and do it. 
provided the apocalypse didn't happen first. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but actually, so Crane chose the place because he said, it's the one place I know where the neighbors won't bat an eye at a gaping hellhole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he gets rid of the cable guy and they complete the spell and talk about fascinating as they're walking. Crane sees the terrible winter in Valley Forge. And Laura sees the orphanage that she was left in when her mother was killed in her original timeline. They each saw what hell meant to them. Right. And so that was fascinating to me. Yes, The writers really would come was. up with that as a concept that hell is what you see from your past. Well, I wonder what I would see from my past as my quote unquote hell. Very interesting question, but that was fascinating. Yes, it was. And of course, we get probably one of the great speeches from Crane. But before that, he goes, hell is not merely other people. It is the damn places we carry with us. And she goes, that's some grim real estate. And he goes, I can only imagine. And then he goes into another speech about how... They're both kind of out of time because she says no matter how far back in time, you can't, some things you can't change. And that's true. You can't because those are memories that you've taken with you. That's right. And then he tells her that in her younger self and his, and her mother, he's found comfort. And in this time, he has not abandoned you and never will. And you just feel those words penetrate Laura. And pretty much comfort her in that situation. Yeah, I think she understands so much more now that she sees the real picture now that she traveled back in time and away from Dreyfus. Right. And she sees what they have been doing and what they tried to do. And she knows that he completely lied and he took her mother from her and and he actually made her life a living hell. Yes. <laughs> Although she didn't really know, she didn't realize it. Right. So they proceed to um, follow the yellow brick road as it was, and <laughs> they come to a door with the Latin inscription, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. The words are from Inferno, which is the first part of Dante's Divine Comedy poem written in the 14th century, which of course does talk about hell. Yes. And of course, they have to descend down a extremely long spiral staircase to reach the bottom. And, of course, he has his own elevator. But both were going down, which I thought yes. was interesting because, of course, in all of our notions, in all of literature, hell is a place that is down. Heaven is a place that is up. And so they were going down into the pit, and he was coming down to meet them. So Right. Now, after... Uh, a brief discussion. The devil starts to get a little bored and Crane basically gets in his face and says, let's make a deal. And they cut to back to the archives. And so we don't see what deal Crane made. But we all could take a pretty good guess at that point in time, couldn't we? Yes. <laughs> I heard a lot of uh, sleepy heads going, no. Mm -hmm. Of course, we see him come back, and he informs them that the devil gave him the Philosopher's Stone to reverse 
Dreyfus's immortality. Well, you know, think about it. It was very smart on Crane's part to basically say that, hey, Dreyfus broke the contract with you, devil. Right. Yes. Because Dreyfus did. Dreyfus was trying to become immortal so that he would never die, so that the devil would never get his soul. Right. And even our devil played magnificently, I must say, by Terrence Mann. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. And, and, you know, he's like, well, we even have rules here. A contract is a contract, right? And so Crane pushed the right buttons in order to be able to negotiate. Yes, he did. Yeah. And, of course, the devil tries to intimidate them, you know, by saying, I'll tear you to shreds and we have two for the price of one. And Crane comes right back at him. You will not keep us here. We came of our own free will. And like you said, hell has rules. You cannot trick us with your cheap intimidation. Which was beautifully done. He yes. was very, Tom Meissen in, in uh, playing Crane in that scene was just, he was powerful. He was self-assured. He, he knew the answer that he was going to take and that, you know, and not any other answer. And it was, I thought it was a magnificent interchange between the two of them. Yes. And of course, when he does arrive back at the vault, it's just as the rest of the team has discovered the stash of weapons left from the original Agency 355, and they're all down in the dumps that these weapons look old and worn, and how are they going to stop the horsemen? And we get another great speech from Crane. When I first walked through these doors, this was Agency 355 by name only. But we have, every one of us, restored it to its former glory. So I ask you today, now trust me. God's blood, trust each other. Because if Banneker's beheath these armaments to the original heroes of our agency, then age shall not worry them, nor the years condemn. And with these in our hands, I have no doubt, as one, we can only prevail. Yeah, and, and, and that kind of got back to the theme, you know, e pluribus unum, that we're going to talk about a little bit later, that, you know, that as long as they are all together, that they are basically one body, they're going to get this job done, and they can do it. Yes. So another rousing speech that was very heartfelt from Ichabod. I think this was probably one of his finest episodes for uh, speeches, shall we say, and giving of himself so that the others can be risen up, shall we say. Right. And part of what he said is actually from the poem For the Fallen, which was written by Lawrence Binion. And it was actually written in honor of the casualties of the British Expeditionary Force, and it was first published in September 1914, a well-known poem over in uh, Great Britain. So the, you know, M. Raven Metzner again and the rest of the staff writers pulled out some magnificent quotes from some very well-known, albeit older, pieces of literature uh, for Crane to use during this episode. Yes, he absolutely did. So the team uh, kind of splits up with um, one group going to uh, delay the horsemen as much as they can, and Crane and Diana go after Dreyfus. Of course, they get there, and just as they're about to move in, war appears. Here's Henry. And he's about to strike 
Ichabod down, and Ichabod stops the armor, puts down his weapon, and brings Henry forth. I thought that was pretty amazing the way that they did that because, you know, he said, hey, we've both shared war, so I can see him. I can see that he's still there. And I wondered if when we saw the two of them speaking to each other, if if that's the way that only Crane could see it, but or if Henry then emerged so that Diana could also see him as well. And I really wasn't sure. I got the impression that it was that was simply between Crane and Henry. And Diana was probably still seeing the armor of war. Right. And not hearing any of the conversation. That's <laughs> Except good... maybe from what Crane was saying. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. And I didn't go back to watch specifically for that. That could be very likely. But it's also... And but don't you think we... it was also interesting then that Henry then didn't completely convert? Or no, or maybe it was only because they could see each other. Right. Because both they had both been okay. war. Right. Okay. And... The first things out of Henry's mouth is, I can never forgive you, Father. Never let the coal that burns die down. That was sad because I thought that we were going to get a little bit more of a resolution to that. I thought we would get some peace with that for Crane, but that didn't occur. Right. But Crane is able to convince Henry that they both value freedom above all else. And it's because he uses Henry's anger against him basically this anger is anger worth swearing servitude to the will of a tyrant is hatred worth sacrificing your freedom but i think that was also partially selfish though on henry's part then and that crane was was appealing to his selfish side because henry doesn't want to be ruled by anyone else no and so no cuz he had actually told malcolm that he had basically tried to take over everything previously and crane beating. Uh-huh. And I have to think that that it's not so much Henry's love for freedom in the sense that we may think of freedom for a people. It was simply Henry's own personal freedom in that he would not be under the yoke or under the power of someone else, and in this case, Dreyfus. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what Crane played on, and sure enough, Henry says, but freedom, freedom is a cause that I would sacrifice all for. So for now, for today, even in war, there can be a truce. That's all they needed. Yes, that opened the door. They got past um, war and into Dreyfus's compound. Or at that point, did Dreyfus have, I think Dreyfus was at Camp David at that point in time. Weren't they in a bunker? Right, right. Yeah. Yes, I think was, so. Because yeah. he had the president. Yes. And actually, I was surprised that they just didn't kill her and hand over her head to uh, Headless. Right. But, but they maybe had, that but was they had the motivation the <laughs> for Headless to uh, complete the uh, task at hand. Yes. Yeah, that's true. They probably still had to take over everything. but Right. Yeah. They still had to defeat the U.S. Army, still left. And Dreyfus was absolutely positive that the four horsemen could handle that. But he finds out, oh, no, they're being stalemated. So both Crane and Diana get in, and of course, Crane's got one arm behind him, hiding the Philosopher's Stone. And of course, the first thing he does is tries to get as close to Dreyfus as possible without giving everything away. And Philosopher's Stone starts to uh, do its thing, and just as they are about to uh, kill the president, 
Diana Schutze, and he is no longer immortal. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll talk about that great scene later. Now, once it's over, they are assembled with the president, and she's in quite a sticky situation as uh, she cannot really tell them all what happened or the world will freak out. Yeah, how do you tell the world that, oh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse from Revelations appeared sure. on the scene and we're going to take over the world? They probably would have had her committed immediately. Yes. Yeah, that'd be a little she, awkward. Yes, but she also has some uh, people in her military that saw them as well. So, <laughs> yeah, there's going to have to, she's got some, a little more work to do than just keeping um, Agency 355 quiet. But, Although, see, I, I think, though, that the Four Horsemen killed everyone else. All of them. All of yeah, them. And that them. the other troops were on the way, but our witness, our team witness was ahead of them. And so nobody else saw that other than the president and team witness. Right. So the president decides that Agency 355 should report to all of them. And we get a couple things taken care of, like. Diana being transferred to the agency from Homeland Security and Ichabod being made a U.S. citizen. And Jenny officially being part of it, too. Yes. And Crane, for that matter, now he's going to have, I guess, a decent source of income so he can pay for his apartment and his cable. Yes. If it ever gets installed. <laughs> I love the way the president did it. Just raise your hand and you expect you know a little bit of pomp and circumstance. Nope. Welcome to America. What I really loved was how Tom Meissen portrayed that moment. Oh, absolutely. The look on his face, incredulous, realizing that his dream was going to come true, and then just beaming pure joy. Yes. It was, that was remarkable. It sure was. He was definitely on his A game in this episode. And we see him back in his apartment. Listening to some Duke Ellington, and I'm sure the kiddies out there don't know who that is, but those of us older uh, do know the Duke. Great jazz. If you if you all don't listen to jazz as a music genre, give it a try sometime. Yes, it was don't get around much anymore. Laura Knox, and of course, he's got a clipboard in his hand, and he is registering to vote. Good for Crane. Yes, <laughs> he's taking full advantage of his citizenship. Now, of course, he goes, oh, we f did I forget? We're going to see Diana and Molly, but Laura's got a change of plans. She has decided that she wasn't as ready as she thought she was to meet Molly, but she does inform him that the mantle of the witness is hers now and not Laura's. And that she needs to go on a walkabout to figure out what she wants to do with that. Of course, they say that they are always interconnected, intertwined, and will see each other again. Crane gives her the bow as always, and away she goes. And yeah, now he's only bowed or genuflected for, he did it for Abby. He did it yes. for Zoe. And he's done it for Laura. I don't know if he's done it. I'm trying to rack my brain to remember if he's done it for other individuals as well. And Not I many. Not many. Yes. And he didn't do it for Betsy. Betsy probably would have decked him. She's tougher than that. Yes. 
Now, one of the interesting things that I read is that that was added by Tom Meissen. That was all his idea. It was not originally written into the script. Right. And so the day of filming, he asked if he could do that. He said he thought it would be appropriate in the circumstances. And they said yes, and he did. And I think that was extremely well played. That was perfect. Yes. Yeah. Now, of course, he goes on to meet with Molly and Diana and informs them that Laura is gone and that Molly is no longer the witness and no longer has that burden and that Diana does not need to be part of Agency 355, but that ain't going to happen as uh, Diana is all in, as she had reminded Crane earlier in the episode that, yes, you were right, this is my calling. And they're a family. Yes. So they hear that Jenny has spotted a possible siren down on the river, So Crane and Diana head down there, and of course, Diana confronts him about how he got the Philosopher's Stone, and if we're partners, we don't keep secrets from each other. And she got shown what she already had known, that yes, Crane had dealt his soul for the Philosopher's Stone. He's got a mark. He's got a glowing mark on his arm. Yes, he does. Mm -hmm. And of course, he goes, hey. I've been through worse. I will get out of this. And she goes, no, we will get out of this. And about that time, we see the Kraken come out from the river. And they have a little other nice little banter about him being the monster expert. And, of course, Diana comes back with um, all the other possibilities that this monster could be. And so she's been... uh, Taking this very seriously now. She's been cramming. (laughs) Yes. And they kind of make a bet as to whether it's a Kraken or not. She'll take him up on that bet. And we end with them strolling off to Highway to Hell, playing in the background as as Crane goes, shall we hit the clock? It was magnificent. And that's true because they're... Officially, employees of 355, that is their job. Get rid of those monsters. And that was some great CGI on that Kraken. Yes, it was. Wasn't it? Oh, my gosh. Yes. I looked at that thing. I'm like, sweet. Yeah. (laughs) That was great. And to watch Crane from the beginning of the season in a new place, trying to figure out what he was supposed to do. By the end of the season, he has a whole new team. He's got a family. He's settled down. Yeah, he's um, got a home. He has a home. And it was, um, that was wonderful. That was just wonderful. Yes, it was. All right. How about Miss Jenny, Barb? Okay. So, as you said, you know, we started off uh, with that wonderful, with that wonderful scene with the mystical vision um, that she managed to create for them using all her different artifacts. That was so realistic. But they had to find out what happened to Henry slash Jeremy, and they did. And what was yeah, really was, fun, that wasn't that great. Yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. And, of course, the um, producers had to kind of tease us by releasing that behind-the-scenes shot with Jenny in her garb, but she's got one of the guns in her hand. So you go, 
oh crap, what is this? And <laughs> and then the scene is completely different. You go, oh come on. <laughs> oh yeah, we were conned, but that's I'm okay yes. with that. I'm, I'm yes. okay. I don't want to be spoiled. I can be conned. Now, of course, after they had to leave the uh, Masonic cell in Sleepy Hollow, they had to hightail it back to D.C. in the vault. And because they need to find out where Dreyfus is, because they know they've got a huge problem because of Henry's war, Dreyfus has all four. So while the entire team is trying to figure out about the, the compound, here's Jenny, you know, and she's like, Alex, you know, scoot out of the way, because she wanted to hack that satellite, because it, she hadn't done that in a long time, at least for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I thought, yeah, Jenny, girl, able- what can't you do? You are amazing. Yep. She was able to uh, get the heat-seeking uh, radar up and running real quick. <laughs> yeah, she was. And one of the things, though, is that when Crane and Laura came back, and uh, they were all concerned about the two of them coming back safely, and I would be too. And when he showed up, and he showed up back in the vault that time, the way that Jenny grabbed him and hugged him and held him, you, you could just feel the emotion. Jenny didn't want to lose him the way she'd lost her sister. Right. She's going to be ticked. I'm surprised she didn't figure out about his deal with the devil. Yeah. I think she knows as well, more than likely. Probably. But, and and in that moment, I felt that Jenny, too, had her family. Yes. And so then they all start researching all these supernatural occurrences, right? None of the same are the same as their current situation for killing an immortal. And that actually was then before Laura summoned Job. But then she worked with Alex and Jake and with Diana then to find the weapons that were hidden in the vault. And I will tell you that when when they first cracked that open, uh, when Diana cracked that open they, and they found the um, E Pluribus Unum and then they found those uh, weapons in there. Right. When they pulled out that first bow, I thought, by dang, that's the bow. I don't think that it, I don't think it was Crane's crossbow. I think that that was the bow that Jenny had. In in tomorrow, where we where she had all those mystical weapons, right? It's very possible those could have been the four weapons that they had in the future. Uh huh. They might have found it at some later time, right? So, because of course we found out that Laura and Job ransacked the vault, and they wouldn't have found the book or the the weapons. So no, no, not at all. So I thought that that was um very interesting because that gave me pause when I saw that because I thought. By dang, I think that was not Crane's crossbow. I think that that was this crossbow. Right. So then she goes ahead and she leads the team. When everyone gets back and they go their two separate ways, then Jenny and Jake and Alex are going are going after the horsemen. They're going to hold them off while Diana and Crane try to go get the president. And I think they did a magnificent job of that because she was really there and they were using these weapons in the, in the, in the forest or in the woods. You know, it was interesting. I think that she, both she was leading it and Laura was leading it as well. I think that they were both pretty strong co-leaders when they were going through that. Oh, absolutely. Now, I think the one thing I did fail to mention though is that when Crane and Laura were, were leaving to go see the devil, you know, and, Jenny jokes that she wants a snow globe from hell. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's a gift shop. I want a snow globe. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. And then while they were gone, she's the one who recognized the symbols on the bookshelf as the ones that had gotten them to J Street. And so she's the one when she pushed that and she realized that it was a button. It wasn't just a carving. 
uh, that's when that hidden, hidden book fell out that they were able to use to ultimately find those weapons. Right. So once again, you know, Jenny was using her problem-solving skills to make sure that the you know team was going to have what they needed. Yes, and after the first round that they had shot of their weapons at the horsemen didn't do any damage, and it wasn't looking good, but Jenny kept them together, and as they got closer, the weapons seemed to sense that they were that close to being in trouble and came alive, shall we say. Yeah, it was a little <laughs> close for comfort, but I guess the weapons were smart enough to know what they needed to do. Yes. And although nothing was said at the end of the episode, I think that it was kind of clear that Jenny did not leave for her artifact hunting trip, because if she had, she would not have called Diana to tell her and Crane about the siren in the Potomac River. Right. I think you're absolutely right on that. I think with the way things ended and Diana telling the president that both Crane and Jenny should become part of Agent 355, that that finally gave Jenny a feeling of family and home as well. And as I said, I think that when she was concerned about Crane coming back and she just latched onto him and gave him the biggest hug, I think she realized in that moment that these are the people that she wanted to be with. And this was her family. This was now her home. Right. So what about Diana, Molly, and Laura? All right. Well, we end up getting our first semi-serious conversation between Diana and Laura as they're in the vault. And Laura actually tells her that, yes, there was these horrible things that I did and that Job actually raised her more than Malcolm did. And you kind of go, that does explain quite a bit of her knowledge of black magic and artifacts and the supernatural, but it sure didn't quite jive with what, shall we say, Malcolm's vision when we see him with uh, young Molly as him wanting to be the father figure. Well, that didn't last long now, did it? No, but he was power hungry and he just, he wanted a kid and that was, it was like something, he collected her. She was one of his artifacts. But then Job was her babysitter. Right. And it was interesting. I I wonder, do you think that Job was teaching her things because he was bored or because he was, he felt that he was recruiting potentially a new demon and and training or something like that? It's very possible that he was thinking that way because Laura seemed to know him really well. And she knew just what buttons to push to actually get the information out of Job that they needed. Because when they meet with him, she basically says, you know, hey, uh, you were um, the babysitter and Malcolm was having nothing to do with you. And is this what you want? And that's when he tells them to go to hell, but (laughs) (laughs) not quite the same for the same reason, shall we say. (laughs) Now, of course, as Laura and Diana are talking Diana tries to tell her that, you know, that was back then. That isn't who you are now. And Laura is like, well, you know, Molly won't have to lead that life that I did now. And that's the important thing. And, of course, when she says that, Diana realizes that this is a one-way trip for Laura, that she can't go back. And, of course, Laura says, I got to save you. That's 
the most important thing and that Molly, young Molly, won't have to live the life that I did. I still find it very odd that, in essence, she split and became a different person when she traveled back in time. But no, but I mean, we know we do that. See, we see that in time travel shows because you're not supposed to run back into yourself. Theoretically. Right. Theoretically. Theoretically. Yes. <laughs> but yes, it's, we do. But yeah, then, but she knows that this Molly will grow up and will, and will knock on wood, have a much, a much better future. At least she definitely won't have Dreyfus there. And she doesn't right. have the mantle of the witness. So interesting. Yes. Very interesting. Now, of course, it's, Laura uses one of her last spell crystals to contact Job. Now, I don't know if they brought him into the tunnels. It kind of sounded like he did. They did because he goes, oh, well, I know where you are and I'm going to attack you guys. Mm -hmm. But Laura still twists his arm and tells him that Dreyfus is growing bored with him. And is that a fate that he deserves? And, of course, he tells her where to go. Yeah, very specifically, he says, via ad infernum. Travel to hell, as Crane's Latin never fails him. Yeah, thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Diana is extremely worried about their trip, what mother wouldn't be. And, of course, the, the places that they take with them to hell is Laura's is the orphanage that where she was sent to when her mother uh, died, and she actually sees herself as young Molly there. Just sitting there looking so frightened and alone. Yes. Oh, that, that was so sad. And another fine job of Miss Ona acting without saying a word. You could see how torn, emotionally torn up she was just by the look in her face. And, of course, during their little conversation, she tells Crane that, you know, some things you can't change no matter how far back in time you go. And, of course, we think she's right about that, but, and she can't change the memories of what happened to her. It's made her who she is now. A much harder person than young Molly. Right. Hard but someone and much trusting. Yeah. Right. And someone much stronger to handle the mantle of being a witness. Very true. Now, of course, when they do find the um, where the cache of weapons is supposed to be, Jake's given the sledgehammer and just can't deface government property. That was so funny. <laughs> so Diana snatches the sledgehammer out of his hands and almost hits him in the head on the swing back. <laughs> Whoa! (laughs) And goes to beating on that wall and finds the weapons. Now, of course, before they split up into the two groups, Diana reminds Laura that she's still her little girl. And Laura tells her mom to watch her back. And, of course, says, you too, old man, to Crane. Yeah, and he looked a little exasperated by that. Yeah, I was like, really? You gotta call me old? (laughs) And, of course... We do see the team of Laura, Jenny, Alex, and Jake battle the three horsemen, which, of course, was another great line. Oh, the odds are in our favor. <laughs> yeah. Um, No. <laughs> but at least with but the it, three of the, only the three of them instead of the fourth one, they would have been in a peck of trouble. Yes, indeed. But as the weapons get charged, let's see, Laura had the 
cleaver, the pair of cleavers, and Alex had a knife. So I think that Alex had the Daniel Boone knife. Right. And then Laura had those cleavers that belonged to, and now I'm going to forget his name, and I've got it somewhere down in the notes. Because right. it's, it's going to be the four, it'll be the four people from the, the painting, the original right. Agency 355. Yeah. And I thought it was, you know, you expected to see more of Jenny and probably Laura in there doing more of the hand-to-hand type combat. And yes, we did see Laura and she performed really well. But to see Alex get in there and Jake and not only a little bit, quite a bit of the battle. We saw a lot of Alex doing that. And that was a little unnerving because I don't know when she learned that hand-to-hand combat. Right. I was afraid that they were kind of highlighting it because one of them was not going to make it through. Yeah. Now, of course, once Diana and Crane get into the compound, Dreyfus makes his way to take out the president. Diana tells him it's over, let the president go, and then shoots him. And, of course, at the same time, the horsemen disappear, which was very nice. And I know Team Witness was happy about that. Yes. And, of course, we see Laura going to Crane's apartment as they are to meet Diane and Molly. And she tells him that she doesn't want to go. She is going on a walkabout to get her head on straight. That Molly is no longer the witness. She's got to figure out what that means to her. And she hugs Crane and says their fates are intertwined. Of course, Molly is very disappointed. She wanted to meet Laura. And Molly learns that she's no longer a witness and is kind of bummed out about it. She did seem to be, didn't she? Yes. uh, But Crane assures her that when it's time to make that decision, she can make the decision as to how she wants to live her life if she wants to fight the war on evil, then she can do that. And with her mother as her guide, I think she probably will. Just like her alter ego, Laura, in the future. Yes, absolutely. And of course, Diana grills Crane about his deal with the devil until he proves that he's been marked and sold his soul. And of course, the ending about their talking about what the possible monster was, the siren, a succubus, a Bukwana, a Cilia, or a Charabis. It was pure gold between those two. And it was nice to hear a call back, especially to the succubus, because there are so many people who remember that episode and what yes. crazy monster that was. So it was nice having some of that tossed back out there again for the fans. Uh, another little parting gift. Yes. And it proved that Diana was definitely all in and taking this very seriously as she has begun studying her monsters. She was cramming. She she was she knew some of those things. Yes, she did. That was not only did it surprise Crane, it surprised the rest of us too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that she in the future would become an a very a very effective monster fighter and she might even Pop one or two things out before Crane does in their yes, partnership. I think so, too. Yeah. All right. How about our fearsome twosome there, Barb? All right. Alex and Jake. Well, it was Jake that realized that the four horsemen were more powerful together than apart. And Alex says, like the Beatles, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I think Paul McCartney might beg to differ with that a little bit. Right, and John, and yeah, so <laughs> even George and Ringo—they probably all would debate that. <laughs> they might, but you know, Jake can tell that Alex is uh, she's 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 got that air conditioning turned up there. It's a little chilly there, <laughs> and he wants to know how he's upset her, and so they start their little chat, which is interrupted yet one more time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this time by Crane. So it got to the point where it was a bit comical at that point. Yes. Meanwhile, as the whole team is together, it's the two of them that note that Camp David is only 10 miles away from Dreyfus's compound. And in how crazy it sounds or to say that the horsemen are coming for the president. But that's exactly what's happening. And it's like, um, no, Diana, you can't exactly call the Secret Service and say, hey, guess who's coming for dinner? Yeah. <laughs> uh, not going to work. No. But but then they, uh, during the joking period of time here before Crane and Laura take off uh, to visit the devil, after Jenny makes her remark about a snow globe from hell, which I still think is hysterical, <laughs> then Jake jokes, hey, I went to hell and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how perfect. Yes. More great writing. More fantastic writing. And it was interesting how they were each using their different strengths to help the problem solving in the team. Because Jake has been going through history. He knows those books. Alex has been checking the, sh the symbols on the shelf. She's She looks at the artifacts and all the things around them. And she believes that they look a little bit more than just decorative objects, which is when Jenny jumps in and pushes a button and hey, hey, hey. Yep. So, of course, eager beaver Jake grabs that book out of there. I mean, his eyes popped out of his head just about as, as quickly as the book <laughs> popped out of the hidden uh, pocket in the shelf. And he was so excited. Here's a book that is in the vault, and he hasn't read it yet. Yes. And what he sees is the very first entry in this book talks about a meeting between Banneker and Washington and Sleepy Hollow. And they all realize that they're talking about how the archives were founded. And yes, who did it? Yes. And that they were redesigned and improved by Banneker. And that's when we get into this wonderful flashback. It's been so nice having Edwin Hodges play Benjamin Banneker this season. This has been a lot of fun. Yes. And of course, then we got um, George Washington back too. And we, I think we all enjoy seeing him. Yes. But one of the best parts about this, and, and I know you love this, Yes. Was, that, was that they had young Samuel painting the picture on the wall. And Banneker immediately calls him out and said, no, you, you have to remove Betsy Ross because there can't be any clue that she is involved with this. Because right. it, would been, it would have been so out of place. And then yes. Washington said, well, wait, wait, leave her distinctive tricolor hat as a clue that she was here for future generations. And, of course, that's – we had seen that when – Crane realized that in season three, episode 16, Dawn's Early Light. Yes. And that's how he realized, hey, wait a minute, we've got to cross the river. That's how we're going to get back. And that didn't quite work out too well for no. Abby in that case. But yeah. But anyway, um, it was it was nice to see that. It was nice for us to get the answer to the question, how were the archives originally established? Who did it and why? Right. And that's when we learned that this was supposed to be a repository for powerful mystical artifacts and weaponry to be used to battle the forces of e evil. And what was even funny was that it was clear that uh, Banneker was still ticked off with George Washington for putting allowing Crane to be put into a deep sleep. Right. 
a couple of moments of humor there. And then they discuss E Pluribus Unum, from out of many, one. All peoples forming one people. And they had a little bit of a disagreement over what that phrase actually meant. So our twistery this week was that Benjamin Banneker was responsible for planning the idea in George Washington's head to use E Pluribus Unum as our unofficial motto, which, of right. course, it's twistery. And we'll learn in our history lesson that that isn't quite the case. But it made for some wonderful dialogue. Yes, about, it did. Yeah. What did our founding fathers really mean? And what should it mean to us as, as one people? Now then, Jake continues to read. I'm sure he was probably upset that he had to put down the book and actually go fight the monsters. But he read that the weapons were to follow the agency. And so then he realizes that they must be in the vault. And he ran to the painting of Samuel Wilson, Davy Crockett. I think I said Daniel Boone earlier, my mistake. So Samuel Wilson, Davy Crockett, Paul Jennings, and Sacagawea. And of course, that was um, in episode eight this season from Sick Burn. And that's when he says, hey, these weapons are artifacts. They're supposed to be with Agency 355. They have got to be here in the vault. And sure enough, Jake and Alex found the floor plan of the vault. They found a place behind the wall where the artifacts may be stored. Jake cannot destroy government property (laughs) because he's such a good person. And he, whoa, he has to jump out of the way before he gets smacked with a sledgehammer. But off to the, <laughs> off to the woods they go, uh, with the weapons. And here in these moments where Alex says, you know, hey, you know, bottom line is they could be killed. Then she confesses to him that she's had feelings for him for three years, didn't even realize it. He just sat, he just stood there and he was more stunned that she talked about herself more than right. he'd ever heard. <laughs> and then she grabs him and she plants one on him. So he got that kiss. The only thing that, you know, and you know, I wasn't, I wasn't shipping them this season. I mean, they were adorable, but I wasn't shipping them. Right. And, and I think a lot of fans were waiting for that. They wanted to see it. And apparently, though, the writers were shipping them because I think a, a couple of weeks ago, the writers referred to them as Ajax. And, <laughs> and I think that the Sleepyheads have a different, um, shipper name for the two of them. And I know I've seen it on Twitter, but I can't remember what it is right now. Right. Or Jalex. They, they're, they're calling them Jalex, but the writers are calling them Ajax. But, uh, so it was interesting. I think he was so stunned. He just stood there. And of course, now he's got a girlfriend and now he has a kind of a second girlfriend that he works with. So that might get a little bit awkward. At yeah. He's going to have to get rid of one. Oh dear. So yeah, that, I think that pretty much took him by surprise from the look on his face. Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. And it was funny. She, you know, once they pull apart, she kind of goes, are you, you going to say anything? Uh, more reason to stop this apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> he's so sweet and so adorable. He has he has a lot of that innocence that we saw. I think with Crane initially in his new yes. world. Yes, and and I think that's what the character of Jake brings to the table. But it's it's that he has, like I said, I, I mean I've said this. I think every episode he has been my favorite new ad this season. <laughs> yes. So, Steve, what about the bad guys? Let's put let's put a fork in them, shall we? Oh, I love to. Yeah, good old Dreyfus and Job have taken the president as prisoner, of course, using headless to break through their door and take out all the Secret Service men. Job gets summoned by Laura, who tells them to 
go to hell. (laughs) In a manner of speaking. (laughs) Yes. Probably one of the best scenes of the episode as far as Dreyfus is concerned is he's in his compound hanging out with Henry. And Henry basically tells Dreyfus that Crane is coming. And Henry goes on, you know, saying, I had all this power. I had the plan. I had everything. And Ichabod bettered me. And you see Dreyfus basically get down on a knee and tell him, hey, you're not alone. You're part of something bigger and greater. And trust me. And finally, Henry gets up and sound the bells and mount up and is all fired up for going into battle. I think that it was funny that Henry was quoting Shakespeare from from I th- I think I put I put down here Henry the 4th, the Henry the 4th play. I don't right. remember. Said, yeah. So Fourth Henry was quoting Henry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wasn't it yeah. creepy though to watch Dreyfus tell Henry he's not alone right after we were watching Ichabod telling Laura she was not alone and and how very different it was from a from an insincere place, more of a power trip to a truly sincere and caring place between right. Crane and Laura. Yes, and I think that kind of put the seed in Henry's head that Crane was able to later use in his uh, freedom speech. Yeah, because Henry goes, sounds the trumpets and let our bloody colors wave and either victory or else a grave. John Noble just plays those lines so well. He's wonderful, and I'm so glad that they brought him back to Sleepy Hollow this year. Yes, I am too, and I love the the way they left it open for him to return again. Yes, yes, they did. A truce, but not a a resolution. Now, of course, Dreyfus gets a little uh, intense and starts yelling at Job as to why the attack hasn't begun. And once again, Job is very calm in how he reports bad news to Dreyfus. Oh, yeah, the horsemen are being fought to a standstill by Crane's team. And Dreyfus just about goes out of his mind. Yeah, I think Dreyfus was going to really chew him out. Oh, absolutely. And Laura was absolutely saying the truth that Dreyfus was going to just put him aside once he had complete power. Now, of course. Once he gets shot, we get this nice, you ruined my victory shirt. Uh, Yeah, really. It was so great. And then he finally realizes he's not healing. And um, he starts begging to Job, you know, to help him. And you see Job, I don't think we've seen Job ever happier in the entire season as he comes up to Dreyfus and says, your contract with the devil has come to an end, and I'm a free agent, and poof, they have left the building. Job was gleeful. I think he couldn't wait just to deliver uh, Malcolm Dreyfus to the devil and get rid of him. Yes. I actually rooted for him in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> no, And here's someone that uh, was very popular as well and that could also come back. Yes, and that was Henry. Of course, he's taken his rightful mantle as war, and it was absolutely amazing to see the four horsemen ride on Camp David. Of course, I think it would have been better to see 
war taking care of the Secret Service agents. But, of course, it had to be headless because he's wanting the head of the president. So you kind of got to pick and choose which uh, egos you have to pet. And, of course, we get to see an awesome devil as they go down to hell. And it was just absolutely fantastic that he's singing Cheek to Cheek, written by Irving Berlin in 1935. Yeah, I'm in heaven. Yeah, great. That was just like, really? The devil's singing this? <laughs> that was just well, so funny. Well, looking at the place, funny. hell yes. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, if any, of the, if any sleepyheads haven't seen this, this is an old movie. It was written for uh, the Ginger Rogers Fred Astaire movie Top Hat. Top, right. Um, I'm going to put the link to the, the that clip from the movie in the show notes, but it's an old one. It's black and white. If you're in the mood There's for dancing. something good, dancing, <laughs> singing, if you like that kind of thing. You might check it out. And of course, to top that, he has to open up by saying, pleased to meet you to the witnesses, mm-hmm. which of course is the song Sleepy Hollow has used since the beginning, Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. Yeah, that was fantastic. That was yeah. so awesome. Yes, it was. Another great job by the writers to put these little things in that. The true sleepyheads will catch. They were gifts. They were absolute yes. gifts. And when he gets upset, we get a nice glow to half his face. Another nice job by our monster expert, Corey Castellano. Yeah, he did a fantastic job. Yes, he did. And I love that Crane asked him if he was the biblical devil, the one who tempted Eve. And he comes back with, I'm the devil you know, and the one you don't. Yes. You go, oh, gosh, this could be an absolutely fascinating season to see with just dealing with him on a semi-constant basis. And, of course, we get the great line from Henry saying he will never forgive Ichabod, but he will fight for freedom and calls a truce which was maybe the closest we have to a resolution that we're ever going to get but for today henry will put away his anger at ichabod you know here the door is open for him to come back yes and because the although the horsemen were summoned we, we know that the the two well the horseman and the horsewoman the rock star and uh, the CFO were both killed and then put into their coffin. However, Headless is always has been around and Henry was reformed in a different way. So those two should still be around because they were they weren't killed to become the tokens. Right. They, they weren't completely existed. tied to Malcolm. No, not at all. Even if they did have to be, quote unquote, recharged. Right. But I think I think then the door was well left open for them both to come back. But I, the other two horsemen, I believe, are, are gone. Yes, I think so, too. Yeah. All right. Shall we move into some side notes? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So there was one line that really struck me as kind of strange while I was watching the episode. And it, it kind of threw a couple other folks for a loop as well. And that's when Jake and Alex were talking. And, and he's like, are we good? And she says, I brought you a, a crawler yesterday. And then she said, if you don't understand what a fish cake 
emoticon means. And we're, what? What on earth? Would what? That yeah. what? Where did that come from? So to make it even, even more puzzling, um, M. Raven Metzner tweeted, for any questions on what a fish cake emoticon means, please check with, and then Russell Fine, um, who's a director, of course, or uh, Clifton Campbell, who is um, an executive uh, producer for the show. Um, and then he provided a link to Emojipedia.com. And, and I'm like, well, this is really weird. And at the link, it says a fish cake is, um, that is used in some Asian meals known as narutomaki in Japanese, Naruto for short. Each slice includes a spiral design for visual flair. Now, the swirl or spiral is a little pink, like a little, a little spiral. And, and actually, he included the emoticon out there. And this is known as a fish cake, a pink swirl, or narutomaki. And I thought, well, okay, this is really weird. And I thought, well, either, either one of those two, um, individuals, either Russell Fine or, or Clifton Campbell is either a big fan of fish cakes or ramen, or this might be a shout out to a particular show. So I sent a tweet out to M. Raven Metzner and basically said, okay, I'll bite. You know, is this yeah. what this is? Or do they just like food? And I got back a like and a copy of the emoticon again. So I'm thinking that it's the second. And so what I think this is a shout out to is a well-loved and popular Japanese anime show uh, called Naruto Shippuden. And I probably butcher that name, which ended a, depending on which source you read, somewhere between a 10 and 15 year run on TV. And it ended on March 23rd with its 500th episode. Now, the main character, Naruto Uzumaki, had two other friends, Sasuke and Sakura. And there were some accidental parallels to the Harry Potter books by the author of the book series, Mashashi Kishimoto. The inclusion of Narutomaki, um, which is pictured as a garnish in a bowl of ramen, was the origin of this character's name. So I really do think this is a shout out to that series. And because it's all in, it's all in fantasy genre. And there is a, a link to Harry Potter, which is a big draw for our, um, UK crowd. Yeah. Right. And so I'm thinking that it's either Russell Fine or Clifton Campbell or both of them were big friend, uh, big fans of that anime show. I think you're onto something, Barb. I really do. Yeah. But anyway, it was kind of, it was, it was just, it was so out of the blue. It was like, that's really odd. <laughs> so, uh, and every question leads to another question as another famous TV show once said, right? Oh, there yes, go. indeed. All righty. Okay. You also dug up some information about that uh, flashy um, hell that we saw. Yeah. You know, and as soon as I saw that, I'm like, I know where that is. I've been <laughs> there before. So the Devil's Home was actually the atrium of the Hyatt Regency in Atlanta, which is one of the five hotels that host Dragon Con every September. And that's where I actually had the privilege of meeting Mr. Tom Meissen a year and a half ago when I attended Dragon Con. Nice. So I remember looking up at that and thinking how freaky it would be to go all the way up in those glass elevators and looking down because I have a terrible fear of heights. <laughs> and so I never did it. <laughs> but it, lovely. And I, a, a lovely little, it was, it was a perfect place, but I think it was also a real nice shout out to Dragon Con uh, because since 
Sleepy Hollow moved to Atlanta. They have been a very strong supporter and have attended Dragon Con each of the years. Yes. And we got some questions answered. One being, Laura is stuck in the past and why? And kind of the rest of her backstory. Ichabod finally got his citizenship. And, you know, I had forgotten about that, too, but it was, we knew it was something that was important to him, and I thought that was fantastic that they managed to do that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, of course, how the archives in Sleepy Hollow came to be. And that was great. Yes, it really was. Love that Banneker had something to do with the design. And, of course, now that the government is involved and Agency 355 is reporting to the president, Hmm, what does that sound like? That sounds like government-sponsored supernatural and monster hunting. What other show might that remind you of, Steve? Ooh, uh, maybe one with Agents Mulder and Scully? Maybe. <laughs> it's going to maybe more of an X-Files vibe. And you know, and Give when, us our crossover. Give us our crossover. Yeah, and, Sleepy X-Files. Yeah. Like, <laughs> And and with Bones now t- uh, gone as well, although that's, you know, very, they were doing a very different thing. Right. Um, but that could, I think, work very well. Um, I think so, too. For a 13-episode season. Yes, indeed. Bring on season five. Yes. And our guest cast included the one, the only John Noble as Henry Parrish, Kamar Delares as Job, Seychelle Gabriel as Laura. Bring her back in season five. Terrence Mann as Death, the Devil. Bring him back in season five. Oh, definitely. Edwin Hodge as Benjamin Banneker. More, please. Mark Campbell as George Washington. More. Jeremy Owens as Headless Horseman. Sharman Lee as President of the United States. And Christopher Coakley as Samuel Nelson. And we also have to give a shout out to Anthony S. Goldsby as the cable guy. Oh yeah, that was so great. You know, it made me wonder, do you think that one of the writers must have had a problem with their cable service recently? <laughs> oh yes, there's no <laughs> doubt in my mind. Uh yeah. That was a little poke. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's move into some prophecies. Well, I personally think that Sleepy Hollow is going to be back for season 5. Um and that the at least the overarching storyline for that season would be how to save Crane from the devil and change his, um, the, what, the, the lean on his soul, I believe is the way that he put it. Yes. And if they do that and they battle, battle monsters, like, I want to know how they dispose of the Kraken in the Potomac River. That yes. thing was <laughs> awesome. What great CGI for that. That was, I just, I had to keep watching that. I had to roll it back a few times. I'm like, that is yes. so cool. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be back. Now, we Crane seems to have a new partner who is a non-witness in Diana. Jenny has apparently decided to remain in D.C. as she told them about the siren, and she wouldn't have known about it if she had left to go artifact hunting in Asia. Young Molly is safe and can make guest appearances next season. Henry's still out there and can come back. Shoot, we could even see Joe back. Yeah, he Wouldn't was, that be great to see Job being cranes, pain in the butt? <laughs> uh huh. I thought about that because Job was really a fan favorite. Yes, I think especially after that episode where um where Jenny had him in the in the chamber. 
He yeah. became a he became a fa- a favorite for a lot of the sleepyhead uh, female followers out there. Yes. <sighs> All right, we're gonna keep this G rated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely expect he'll be uh, popping in and out occasionally to uh, check on Ichabod. Yeah, and we want to see Terrence Hunt, uh, Terrence Mann again too, because he was just amazing as the devil. Yes, he was. And of course, Laura is also a possibility to get very involved in season five as well. She can return or she can be the witness in another part of the world. They could actually end up battling evil on several different continents. Yeah, it would be, yeah, it'll be real interesting to see, um, to see what happens. Seychelles is a very popular actress. Yes. And it may be hard for them to get her. I know that they got her through uh, the Falling Sky connections. Right. But she did a magnificent job, and she would, I think, do a good job with the team as well. I think the only the issue that they would have is how are they going to have all of them have adequate screen time? Because they really played it, if you think about it, with with Crane, Diana, Jenny, Jake, and Alex for most of the season, and Laura only came back for the last three episodes. Was it right? Yeah. Yes. So that it might, that might be tough from a screen time perspective, but and and this will be unusual that we'll have a non-witness and a witness battling. It doesn't mean it's not possible, but it's just it's a little bit of a twist. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And of course, what about Ajax? Flash in the pan or real romance? But they're two very smart, solid additions to the team. No, no matter how. And that, yeah, and yeah. will their relationship interfere with their work or not? Well, it, that would be my question. It could. Usually you're not supposed to have those uh, office romances in the same department, right? Exactly. Yeah. That could be awkward. So we shall see. Now, there were a number of articles, like I mentioned initially out there. And I think one was a good one from uh, ScreenerTV.com, wasn't it, Steve? Yes. Three things they want to see if see Sleepy Hollow returns for season five. We say when. Yes. One, Crane and the Devil. Yes, we want to see that too. Two, Crane and Henry need to sort things out. We couldn't agree more on that. And three, bigger monsters to fight like the Kraken we saw at the end. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm not sure they're going to get the budget to do a whole 13-episode season with big monsters like that. But (laughs) one or two would be nice, yes. (laughs) And as I had mentioned earlier, there were a number of interviews with uh, M. Raven Metzner, and and he said that again, you know, they weren't sure if they were going to come back, but they wanted to at least leave things in a place where Crane had kind of come full circle. He had a family, he had his purpose, he became an American citizen, and that despite the fact that he was out of time, that he wasn't a fish out of water. Right. Uh, and and I think that they put that together very nicely. And if if for some horrible reason this is the end of the series, I will be very happy with how it ended with Crane feeling at home in his new world. Right. And and, and I think that was important to at least leave the fans with that. Mhm. Cuz we sure didn't have that at the end of last season. No, not even <laughs> close. Oh gosh, no. That was everyone was left Extremely, people unsettled. I think very un- unsettled, unhappy, <laughs> yeah. unsettled, disappointed, shocked, 
And this kind of gave us our, you know, once upon a time, happily ever after type ending, if you will. And I think the other nice thing, Jenny came full circle. You know, we've watched her from uh, from the beginning of of the series as someone who was completely traumatized with what she'd seen as a child. And she she has shown her her intelligence, her strength of character, her her strength and her purpose, her kick posterior way to attack the supernatural. And I'm just so happy with Jenny as a character. And Lindy has done such a magnificent job with Jenny. Yes. And please, if we get season five, make sure Jenny is back. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Steve, there were still some witty witnessisms and uh, some that were pretty darn funny. Oh, yeah. As soon as uh, we wake up from uh, the vision at the beginning of the episode, Crane goes, as mystical visions go, that was surprisingly visceral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, of course, Diana, as she's having this talk with Laura, and Laura's informed her that Job was her babysitter, she goes, and I feel bad leaving Molly with the nanny while I try to yeah. stop the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and, of course, with Jake um, in the vault, uh, figuring out that the four horsemen might be more powerful together. It says here that the four horsemen might be more powerful together than separately. Alex, hmm, like the Beatles, their solo work never had that same magic. <laughs> <laughs> and when the horsemen go make their move towards the president, Alex, do we call Secret Service and warn the president? Jake, and tell them what? It's the end of times and hashtag revelations is true? Yeah. (laughs) I have to give Malcolm at least one line as they break in to get the president. Who are you? And I'm afraid my associate, he isn't much of a conversationalist. Yeah, headless, no head. (laughs) That cracked me up, yeah. And... um. After Diana expresses her concern from about their trip to uh, hell, Crane replies, Agent Thomas, I have found my way back from purgatory, the catacombs, and New Jersey. We will return. Yeah. And uh, M. Raven got some grief uh, from some New Jersey folks, uh, or sleepyheads on that one, and he said it was a uh, a joke with uh, amongst a few of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I knew there might be a little blowback with that. <laughs> of course, Jenny in her comment, and if hell has a gift shop, I'd like a snow globe. <laughs> Jake pipes up, I went to hell and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> and of course, the cable guy, after Crane tries to uh, get him to leave, and he goes, are you available between the hours of 8 a.m. and 9 p.m. three weeks from today? And Crane goes, if the world hasn't ended in a fiery apocalypse, then yes, three weeks from today. <laughs> he shuts the door and he goes, the torments of the dam have already begun. Yeah, <laughs> when they find the weapons cast, Jake, okay, I've uh, fought magical creatures, demons, and monsters, but I've never defaced government property. <laughs> <laughs> and Crane comes in and goes, strange time to remodel. On the field is... They battle the three horsemen, and they fire their weapons the first time, and they don't seem to have any effect. Jay goes, do we have a plan B besides dying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and as they um, are fighting and the horsemen disappear, Jenny goes, it's too early to call. 
but I think we just won. And they did. So how about this week's history lesson, Barb? All right, Steve, as promised, it's going to be on E Pluribus Unum. E Pluribus Unum is Latin for out of one many, and it is the traditional motto of the United States of America. It appears on the Great Seal of the United States, along with two other phrases, Anuit Coptis, he approves the undertaking, and Novus Ordo Seclorum, New Order of the Ages, which, of course, for you sleepyheads, was Season 3, Episode 8. The motto was suggested in 1776 by Pierre-Eugène du Cimetière, and I probably butcher that, to the committee responsible for developing the seal. At the time of the American Revolution, the exact phrase appeared prominently on the title page of every issue of a popular periodical, the Gentleman's Magazine, which collected articles from many sources into one magazine. This, in turn, can be traced back to the London-based Huguenot Peter Anthony Mateau, who used the adage for his The Gentleman's Journal or the monthly miscellany which was published between 1692 and 1694. But it seems more likely that the phrase refers to Cicero's paraphrase of Pythagoras in his De Officius as part of his discussion of basic family and social bonds as the origin of societies and states when each person loves the other as much as himself. It makes one out of many, as he wishes things to be in friendship. Now, E Pluribus Unum was selected by Charles Thompson in 1782 when he created the final great seal, whose centerpiece is the American bald eagle. Thompson explained that the motto E Pluribus Unum alludes to the union between the states and the federal government as symbolized by the shield on the eagle's breast. The 13 stripes represent the several states all joined in one solid compact entire, supporting a chief which unites the whole and represents Congress. The motto was first printed on a New Jersey coin. There you go, New Jersey. You got back. In 1786 and was added to U.S. coinage in 1795 when it appeared on the reverse of the Half Eagle $5 gold coin. An act in 1873 made the inscription a requirement to be placed on all U.S. coins. Now, interestingly... E Pluribus Unum was never codified by law. It was considered a de facto motto of the United States until 1956, when the United States Congress passed an act adopting In God We Trust as the official motto. So I'm going to put in two links for the sh- into the show notes if you would like to read more about E Pluribus Unum. All right, let's get into feedback, and we'll start with our audio feedback. From Bestie Justina, and here she is. Hi, Barbin Steve. Wow, Sleepy Hollow really does know how to end their season. That was super exciting. So many great things happened in this episode. We got to see an epic battle with all four horsemen. We got to see more secrets unraveled in the vault. Jake and Alex got to finish that conversation that was interrupted. Molly is free to be a little girl. Diana is totally bonded with her new partner, as is Ichabod. And Ichabod got to become a citizen and register to vote. And I think, maybe just maybe, get some peace and closure with his son. That animation at the end on the Kraken was really cool. I really hope we can keep exploring this supernatural world. And as witnesses, we really must keep hope alive. And keep telling Fox how much we really want a season 5. 
This episode gets 10 out of 10, deals with the devil. I am so glad that we won, but that's a serious high price to pay for it. So I hope Fox gives us another season to develop and solve this intricate, dangerous problem. Thanks for all your hard work on the podcast. This is Justina signing out. See you on J Street. We couldn't agree with you more, Justina. That was just an absolutely amazing episode. And I think she speaks for all sleepyheads when she says she wants more. Yes. We all do. Yes, we do. See, everybody liked the Kraken. Yes, it was amazing to say the least. And thanks for your feedback all season long, Justina. Really appreciate it. There have been a number of sleepyheads who have been providing feedback all season and just really thank you guys for your engagement. Absolutely. It means so much to Barb and I to have fans that are interactive with us like this. And Justina is one of the best. All right. Did we get some Facebook feedback, Barb? Yeah, we did. And speaking of fans who are constantly interacting with us, Julie is another one. And she said, I give the finale nine glass elevators to hell. As for the season, I'd give it 10 highways to hell. This has been the best season in a long time. Everyone did an awesome job from the writing, acting, and of course, the monster designs. It was sad to see it end. I wanted to see Team Witness fight that Kraken. Yeah, we did. I can only hope Fox has enough sense to listen to us and give us season five. And Annette, who also has been rock solid steady and providing feedback for us this season. This season was great. Didn't know what to expect after last season, but the writers, producers, and actors all did a great job. Glad to see Malcolm get what he had coming. Not happy about Ichabod giving up his soul. Give it nine glass elevators. And then we got some additional uh, feedback. And our our good buddy, Jess in Atlanta, who I did get to meet at Dragon Con a year and a half ago, and she said, hi, everyone. Just wanted to let you know I'm only halfway through the season, so I haven't been able to participate with the podcast. But I still listen after every episode I watch. I'm really enjoying this season and so excited to see how it all ends. I'd love to see another season with this new dynamic. And then Kelly followed that up and she just said, I just finished and definitely won another season. We all do. Yes, we did. And our Twitter Facebook question of the week was, tell us what you thought about this season. Sleepy Hollow Attic replied, love. They brought all four horsemen back, had continuity, eased us into an adult Molly Laura second witness. Cast melded together. Great job. And Dada said, I like the epi so much, the concept of freedom, which is also free will. Henry doing the right choice. Hope to see more. And Justina, I think it may be my favorite season yet, or at least second best after season one. And then Sleepy Hollow Hub, absolutely love the season finale. So epic. You know, and and I, I think, you know, as we get ready to thank our all of our followers on Twitter and, and Facebook, Steve, I think we owe a great big thanks to everyone who was involved in making Sleepy Hollow come to the screen for us. The writers, the producers, the showrunners, the cast, the crew, every single person who helped bring this show to being. Just fantastic season. Loved it. We know it's a lot of hard work for them. I wouldn't want to be up all night filming. I need my sleep. Um, But just... They really delivered something very special, very great to the fans this season, and I just thank them for that. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It was an absolutely fantastic season that exceeded my expectations completely, and 
just amazed at the way they were bounced back from last season. Just amazed. All right. We want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook. And thanks for all the retweets, favorites, and interaction. And this is going to be the longest one we'll probably ever do. Yeah. <laughs> Sleepy Hollow Fox, Sleepy Hollow Riders, M. Raven Metzner, Albert Kim, Philip Iscove, Kamar De La Reyes, Dustin Lewis, Paul Revere. Nice to hear from you, Dustin. Sleepy Hollow Addict, Sleepy Hollow Mexico, Sleepy Hollow Hub, Tom Meissen fans, Tiffany T, Deb K, Pam Woods, Danny, Vivino98, Debbie Lamb, Mary Powers, Etzker, Molly McLaughlin, Janet Ortiz, Cassie Sylvia, Vera Hines, Daniel Fugit, John Ramos Kyle, Karen McDonald, Kittle, Tara Codinelli, Geraldine DeRazio, KMH, Lawrence Griffin, John Ramos Kyle, Tomboy for Life, Love Joseph, Susan, Keys, Lucifer Fans, Skyler, Michelle McKeever, Desiree, Bill McDonald, Vera Hines, WTS Fan, Love, Peace, and Hope, Dada, Froggy Stefani, Joyce Williams, Lise Morales, Deborah Oliveri, Shannon Walliger, Laura Wall, Pierre Morin, Justina, Penny Ellington, Melanie Boyce, Kelsey, Julie Miller, Pamela Edwards, Sheila, Regine, Siwu, Shannon, Amber Marie Barbo, Chelsea Anderson, Geraldine DeRazzo, Polly T, Diane Sanabria, Lane DVPT, Pearl Bailey, Clifton Campbell, The Traveling Foodie, Carly Quinn, Josie, Sandy McGowan, Judy, Mel, Diane, Jennifer Lapira, James Binder, Cindy Womack, Susan Young, Annette Nugget, Alma Rodriguez, Rebecca Mary, VLJH, Mike Pierce, BR1, Karen L, thanks Karen Lindsay, Doug Payton, Timeless GSM, Susie, Lori Shannon, Luis Bertal, Rami Ungar, Icy, Caitlin Hughes, Kathy Schwallenbender, AP Camp Life, Cumberwitch, Sharon Fry, Dorian Josette, Pamela Weaver, Annette Anonymous, Elaine Patterson, Linda Killian, White Horse, Bianca De La Garza, Kelly, and Jess in Atlanta. How can they get a hold of us, Barb? Okay, guys, you can get in touch with us. Our voicemail number is 304-837-2278, or you can go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback, where you can use the speak pipe widget on the side of the page to record audio, or you can type out your feedback on the form, where you can even attach audio feedback. Stay engaged with us on Facebook. Uh, we're going to let you know the news as we get it for Season 5, so just find us Witness Prophecies on Facebook. We'll be doing the same thing on Twitter. Follow us at Witness Prof GSM. Steve is at Salyer Steve, and I am at Tangier14. And we've come to this point in the podcast where we discuss visions of the future. So if you don't want to be spoiled about any upcoming episodes, um, oh, wait. <laughs> oh, no. We don't have any. Oh, oh, no. This is so sad. Yes, it is. <sighs> wait for season five, folks. That's right. 
And if you want to catch up on some of the great season one and two stories and monsters, pick up a copy of Sleepy Hollow, Creating Heroes, Demons, and Monsters, the official making of book by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. And it at least will make it a little easier getting through the next eight months. Hopefully it'll only be eight months. Please review and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews that help other fans of the show find us as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes. Tell your friends, and we really hope you're enjoying our podcast. And don't forget, the UK is still watching, so let's support them. Let's rewatch the episodes. Get on Fox's website and watch them along with the UK and support all the sleepyheads worldwide. This is Steve, and so are we going to pussyfoot around or are we going to strike a deal? And this is Barb signing out, and remember, dear sleepyheads, work hard, stay true, and surround yourself with people you love and respect, and there's nothing you cannot achieve. Keeping fingers crossed, we see you next year, sleepyheads.